Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I'm talking about mindfulness and how it can be applied in schools, particularly at transition um, to help young people deal with anxiety around that. And interestingly, I'm talking to Major Pat Burgess, MBE, who works at the Armour Centre in Bovington and Sarah White, who is principal at Bovington Academy primary school that is just across the road and they've been working in a partnership uh, and Pat comes and delivers mindfulness sessions for the children. So really interesting um, seeing how that partnership has, has grown up between the army camp and the school and how the principles of mindfulness can be applied to adults and children alike. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello. Today I am joined by Major Pat Burgess, MBE from the Armour Centre Bovington and Sarah White, who is Principal at Bovington Academy. Hello and welcome to both of you. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi there. And we are going to be talking a little bit about the work you've been doing together on mindfulness, helping um, pupils prepare for transition to secondary school in particular. But before we get to that, perhaps you could kick off uh, telling us a little bit about yourselves and your backgrounds. So, Pat, we kick off with you. Yeah, you can do. Yeah. So um, I'm a 28 year um, service in the army from um, Trooper as we call it in the Royal Army Corps, right the way up through to Major. So been all the way through the ranks and now a commissioned officer. Um, mostly involved in tanks, which is my um, my part. So, so in armour, um, but latterly during my career became interested in, um, in psychology, um, did a degree in psychology with the view of um, assisting uh, soldiers through difficult times coming back from operations and stumbled upon mindfulness in the progress uh, in the process and have been um, teaching mindfulness uh, for about the last sort of six years now. Fantastic and Sarah what about you? Hello there um, I've been in education now for just over 25 years and same as Pat I've been through the ranks I started as a teacher I've also been a special needs coordinator a deputy head and um, a head teacher and a principal. Um, Bobbington's the third school that I've led uh, and, and all the schools that I've that I've led have, have all been on improvement journeys, um, which has been really, really quite exciting. And um, a variety of settings, including special school, mainly in Kent and South East London, um, and absolutely passionate about children and their education and ensuring that they they achieve the best that they can they can achieve. Fantastic. So, um, uh, Bovington. Bit of a bit of a change of scenery uh, from uh, Kent and South East London. Can you tell us a little bit about the academy, its its history, and and kind of context? Of course. So I only I've only started here. I started in September twenty. Um, uh, you know, in in quite a difficult period following following um the first lockdown number one. Um, and um, it's uh, the school. Um, I, I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sure when the school first. Uh, came about, but I've got I've actually got a picture in my office of an inspection of Bovington school children by King George the the fifth, and that was in April 1928. So the school itself has been around for almost as long as Bovington Camp, I would imagine. 
Um, they uh, they used to be an infant school, so Bobbington used to be an infant school. It transferred to be a primary school in 2012, and then it became part of the Aspirations Academy Trust in July 19. So um, we, we haven't been with Aspirations for very long, but um, we, we now are part of the Aspirations family. It's a very unique catchment. I, I, you know, it's very unique, isn't it? It's not like a catchment I've ever worked in before 70 um nearly 70 percent of our children have uh, a parent who is in the armed forces but we aren't we you know we're, we're a community school so we still serve the community so we also have children that, that whose families are not in the armed forces um the the it's a training call which I'm, I'm, I'm sure pat will tell you more more about um later but it is a training course so it is a training um area for for, for the armed corps and, and and the soldiers in in, in the armed corps um, so generally our children are posted for 18 months they're not, um, they don't stay with us longer than 18 months if their families are serving in, in the army, um, which means the transient nature of the school is, is, is very high. Um, and so transition is, is key. Um, all, you know, we, we think about transition mainly at coming into school and reception and leaving school the other end. But for our children, transition is key throughout because a lot of them are, are moving into new schools, possibly three or four primary schools in, in their, their, their whole primary um, careers so yeah that, that's a little bit about Bobbington um, I don't know if, if Pat you want to give a little bit of a background around the camp and and how and how it sort of serves what it does and, and what it's all about yeah so so the armor center is is around sort of um, all um, mounted close combat um, platforms all around the, the experts really the armor center in mounted close combat in the in the army um, and we deliver training across calls to anybody who's on um, mounted platforms from Challenger 2 right down to wheel platforms and Challenger 3 coming in, as everyone will be aware of in the news and stuff. Uh, so it, it's a busy place. Um, lots of courses right across from um, initial trade training. So after soldiers have left basic training, they come to initial trade training here, um, right the way through to um, trade training throughout their, um, throughout their career, so subsequent trade training and beyond crew commanders, troop leaders. So uh, yeah, a wide variety of courses taught here using a, a fairly large training area and, um, and, a, and a pretty large garrison. Yes, it's interesting. Um, you, you mentioned the kind of close proximity of the school um, to essentially, you know, your tra training camp um, education going on in um, lots of different forms there. And 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 Sarah, yeah, you appreciate the real, really high mobility in your in your cohort there. Um, and and obviously a big a big challenge for you as well coming in. Um, midway through midway through the pandemic how how was your we're talking in um in june nearly nearly first year been yep nearly through the first year um, it was I, I couldn't have my transition into the school, which was really hard because, um, you know, usually as a head teacher coming into a school, you would you would visit the school and you would you would spend a lot of time um, before you actually took up post finding out about the school. But of course, because of the, the lockdown rules, it, it made it difficult for my transition into the school. So for the children, that must have been quite hard because they they, they didn't get to, to really know me until I turned up in September and the parents. Um, what has the journey been like in school? Well, it, it's it's been a journey for everybody. You know, I think everybody has has felt has felt the loneliness at times and the isolation at times. Um, you know, we we're quite a, a close community in Bobbington, and we've we've worked quite closely with the army in this. And and you know, we they've kept us communicated all the way along because. And a lot of the schools would, um, they stayed open for key workers, but in some areas that wouldn't have been many, many families um, that would need it, would need a place during the, the, the lockdown. But of course, because 70% of our, our families, they're all key workers and they were all absolutely crucial 
during the during the pandemic it's meant that we've had to work quite closely with the army to find out what their ideas were and whether they were going into lockdown whether they were still um they still needed places for, for their children so we were a busy place during lockdown we we weren't um you know we, we weren't a school that only had a handful of children coming in we had we had quite a few children in throughout lockdown because we had to make sure that we provided that that service so that their parents could continue to do what they needed to do yeah no gosh appreciate that. that's huge huge numbers um and um yeah i think um because we're all, everyone's so busy always in the um the, the whatever challenge is facing you kind of next we we can you know we run the risk of forgetting um that huge amount of of, of change uh in in circumstances that have gone on in the in the last year and yeah what 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 an induction <laughs> into a into a new school and community for you there um, so, yeah, obviously you've mentioned a lot of collaboration going on between the organisations. Um, Pat, could you explain a bit more about what it is you're actually doing um, with with pupils and, and how you became in, involved in, in delivering in this way? Yeah, so so currently I'm, um, I'm teaching mindfulness for transition to the year sixes. So um, that key stage of their education where they're looking forward to the next step. Uh, and that can create some anxiety amongst, um, you know, amongst students, not amongst all, you, you know, so some of them are very well um, accustomed to transition and uh, take, it in their, take it in their stride quite nicely. But there are those that will find it quite difficult. And there's also that thing around um, assessments, uh, not testing um, this year, I don't think. I think it's, it's become more of an assessment to see where people, uh, children are. But there's still, with children, a little bit of anxiety behind the, how they perform on those and what that says about when they go to their next school. So doing a little bit of work on that, using mindfulness as the, as the tool and the technique, because... At the Armour Centre here, I run mindfulness courses for, for anybody on the camp, be they military, be they contractor, um, be they civil servant. Um, I run an eight-week course, which I developed myself um, based on the Oxford Mindfulness Centre and John Cabot-Zinn's work. And, um, and I deliver those courses here. And my, my, um, my boss at the time, um, Lieutenant Colonel Bishop, who used to be, on the, um, used to be a member of the school governors, um, had been on my course. Uh, and realised that there was real utility with what I was teaching and, and transferring it into, into school. And I'd done a couple of sessions for, for, for other schools, not Bovington per se, but just other schools. And I was struck by how um, I'd forgotten when I was at school. I don't remember not being able to sleep at night because I was worried about what was happening the next day or things like that. But when I asked children, you know, how, we do, how are we sleeping? Lots of children put their hands up and expressed anxiety. Uh, and and sleeplessness, worried about what's going on the next day. So so I, I realised society's moved on a bit. I always thought I used to be just completely shattered after a day running around, um, but apparently not. And so so I know how this works for adults. And so it was a case of just having to tailor what I do in terms of my delivery um, uh, to to the school to the school age and work out what the complexities are that they're dealing with, and and draw the parallels and there are amazing parallels um, and it, and it's very interesting um, how how you are almost teaching the same thing just adapting the language to suit. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting point you raised there about exactly how much anxiety um, you know younger and younger children are are facing and. You know, something that 
I've been observing in conversations that I've been having on these topics, you know, around the pandemic has been that, you know, it was very difficult to shield young people from the realities of what was a very distressing situation um, with regards to, you know, um, people losing loved ones, uh, being in school, not in school. You know, there was no way of hiding what was going on in the wider world. And the fact that, you know, even the grown ups or the people who are supposed to know the answers, you know, at some points didn't or didn't make the right decisions. And, um, you know, that the, the young people are, are aware of that. And, you know, you imagine it, it does have um, a huge impact on their, their levels of anxiety, and particularly linked to, um, as you say, any kind of change or transition. Could you... I want to go back to a point you just said there, though, about shielding um, children and hiding um, with, with two words. Um, we've got to be really careful and not underestimate the capability of children, I think, in these cases, too. Um, if we hide them from concerns that are going on in the outside world, even though we're doing with all the best intentions, what we can end up doing is not preparing them for the life that they've got to leave late, lead later on. So, so I think it's a real recognition of what's going on and to open the conversation and so that they can explore um, how they feel about the things that they're experiencing. Because if we try not to bring it to the surface and discuss it, that can, um, that can mean they're not prepared for any traumatic uh, experiences they may have later on in their life. So, so that was just a point I wanted to, to raise. You can edit that in all right. No, absolutely way. right. <laughs> leave, leave that in. No, I think, I think you're right. Um, and I think maybe, maybe what I was reflecting on is that, you know, um, back in our own youths, maybe we were just less aware of some of these things that were going on and and you know and potentially not developing the tools to, to to cope at that early early point and as you say so valuable um uh well it's also worth pointing out that a lot of positives have come out of lockdown i know that seems a really strange thing to say but you know our children have adapted really well as pat says but it's about you know it's about not i think we've got to be really careful not to look back on that period of time as a as a negative time and try and see the positives and the strengths and the different skills that children have developed. I know for teachers, they certainly have developed a different skill set that, that a lot of teachers are now bringing into their teaching. And I think you know it's really important, uh, you know, as Pat says, to allow children to, to face things that they're struggling with and, and that that change that, that a lot of children find find really quite quite scary, but equip them with the skills to be able to deal with it when they are feeling scared. And I think Pat's done a you know, fabulous job with our children in school to, to, to tell them that it's okay to feel scared, it's okay to be worried. And, you know, and I've seen children using the strategies that Pat has, has, has put into place in his sessions when they felt a little bit anxious about things in school. So I think absolutely, Pat, you're absolutely right that we, we don't hide children and we don't, we don't hide them away um, and try to protect them because that's really going to impact on their, their resilience as they go through life. Yeah, and and so perhaps you could you could tell me Pat a little bit about about some of your your techniques that you that you do and and how you've adapted um, to a to to a primary kind of context. Yeah, so it, it's it's more about the language than anything that I've had to change. The techniques remain pretty much the same because they're they're a tried and tested technique, and most of the things that cause the um, the the sort of resistance in people or the upset in people are the same things too. So, but you just have to bring them down to an understandable scale. 
um, you know, particularly with transition, what I, you know, what I would, what I started with was you can, who can remember day one of arriving at this school and how did you feel when you arrived here coming from somewhere new, be that right at the start of your school year or be that you coming in at year sort of four, five and how did it feel and who did you know and what were the physical sensations in the body that were going on in these situations? What, you know, was it scary? Was it any of those things? And they got, got them to reflect back and then how do they feel now? at this moment in time, be it just about to take a next step to another transition, what's their reflections on the school that they've just spent that time with? Is it positive? Were all any of those fears founded? Were, and we got them to, you know, to discuss and talk about them. And then they realised that transition is part of life. Change is the only thing you can rely on in life. You know, that the only thing you can rely on in life is impermanence. And um, and if we try to, to hold things still um, too much and make them set in stone, um, then it, it won't happen. So we need to be prepared to deal with change. And then it's about teaching them to deal with change and what they do with change, which is important because our minds have a real um, propensity to, um, to try and catastrophize change, to make change into something that's scary, to look at the future and to make things seem worse than what they are. And once our mind does that, the mind and the body interact with one another and the body starts to feel those sensations and it creates some form of anxiety. So if you can teach them basic mindfulness techniques where they learn to watch their mind in action and they learn to feel what their body is actually feeling, you can create a gap between the stimulus and the reaction, so between the thinking and the reaction in the body. And what that then does is allow them to pay attention to the, what's telling the truth, which is always the body. The body incapable of lying. Every bit of feedback it gives you is completely accurate. Your mind that can tell you little porky pies every single day. So if you're able to notice when your mind is taking you on a bit of a journey and catastrophizing, and then be able to come into the body and establish some stasis, some homeostasis by getting the balance of mind and body together, then what happens is you're suddenly able to face the reality of what's going on in that moment by listening to this. So the techniques are more about, or, uh, so what I'm using in the school at the moment, and, and I simplify a lot of them, breathing techniques using the hand, like finger breathing. So, you know, the sort of the in-breath, the out-breath, the in-breath, the out-breath. So it's physical as well and visual as well. So people start to feel their breathing. Hands on the belly when they're breathing so they can feel the belly rising up and down. And noticing the mind when the mind's trying to take you away somewhere else and noticing that you can also control the mind. It doesn't control you. So bringing the mind back into the body when it starts to stray, bringing it back. And the more and the more we practice it, the easier and the easier it becomes. And then you get that thing that nearly everyone's searching for, which is a little bit of peace, a little bit of peace in the mind. Uh, and then they can make some really good informed decisions from a calm state. Because when we're agitated, we lose access to various parts of our brain that are hugely important. You know, the prefrontal cortex and, and the memory in some cases, because you go into like a survival mode. But if you can come out of that survival mode using these techniques and bring you back into that stasis, get that balance back, then all of a sudden you've got your full faculties and you're able to make informed decisions from the, from the right place based on what's happening in the present moment. Very powerful stuff. Sarah, are the, are the staff joining in with this? It sounds, sounds great. <laughs> I did have a question with Pat and, and, and especially that, that one that Pat was just demonstrating about the five fingers and you count round. I, you know, a lot of, um, our staff still get children to do that when they're in that moment, when they're, when they're so heightened, 
that they can't think of anything else. They still get them to use that strategy. And it is really powerful, as you said, and very effective because it just allows that child that time and that space um, so that we can then we can then support them and then they're through that anxiety. So, um, you know, there's little little things that, that Pat has brought into school. They've become part of school practice. Fantastic. And um, compared with uh, a sort of normal normal year and, and Sarah appreciating that, you know, uh, children coming and going is is big part of, of what goes on at your school. What are the sort of particular concerns or worries that people have had about about transition to secondary school? Given that 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 you know this year or so has been a bit more kind of broken broken up for them. Are you are you noticing anything anything different? I think that there are there there is more worry um, about the secondary transition this year than there would. I mean, there is always an element of worry because it's change. Um, and, and there is, with change always comes that, that sort of slight anxiety about something new. Um, but this year, in the past, we've been able to visit the secondary school. We've been able to take children there, but with the bubble situation and the, the latest government guidance on um, transitions not allowed to happen, it does create, the, the secondary school is still doing it, but it's more virtual. It isn't the same as doing it face-to-face, but it has created a little bit more unrest around what is happening and what things are going to be like for the children. So, so we're absolutely seeing that. And I think that opportunity to socialise um, where we've had lockdown and, and, and children haven't necessarily been able to, to mix as much in the community because they would have started to make, you know, get speak to children that have been to the secondary school. That hasn't been able to happen as, as, as much as it would have done in the past where um, they're getting the links with the secondary school with local children. Um, so there is definitely there is definitely more tension um, around secondary school. Um, we've been doing smaller visits to the secondary school, but the children want to go with their friends. They all want to go together, don't they, and discuss it together. So we're absolutely finding that we are finding there are more barriers, um, more barriers to secondary transition this year than there have been previously. Yeah, no, it's interesting thinking about like yeah, being in the being in the physical space is obviously one aspect, and being able to imagine you know, the science lab or whatever it might be that that's kind of new. But as you say, also being there with their friends and, and meeting some of the, the, the new people that they're going to be with, difficult to, to replicate in these um, in these restricted uh, times, which, yeah, again, must must contribute to um, some some concern in, in terms of trying to sort of picture and and imagine it. Um, as challenges from my side as well, because one of the techniques that you can use is the visualization technique. Once you've, um, once somebody's experienced something, obviously, and then they create a, it sort of allows them to continue, you know, like sprinters um, or, or athletes, when you see them on the track as they're going through it and they're visualizing what it's going to look like, you can use that as a technique linked with mindfulness to take control of the mind and to stop you catastrophizing about what that's going to be like, because you've already been there once. And the more and the more you take them through that type of visualization technique, it almost feels familiar by the time they arrive. And that takes away the, the anxiety and the stress. Um, so that's a challenge for me, too, because, um, you know, they've only had virtual visits, so to speak. So I can't really take them to that space that they're going to go to uh, for them to have been through it. So, so yeah, yeah, it has impact on both both styles. And, um, you know, do you, do you think there's there's more recognition now about exactly kind of how how big a change it is I think it is probably one of those things um that you know you know we've all been through and you know at the time seems very big and then you kind of get on with being at secondary school hopefully if that's the right thing for you and you kind of forget about it but 
sort of getting back into the mindset of, of, of a child going through that. Like it is, it is a huge, a huge change. And, and do you think schools are doing, doing a lot more to support children through it? Certainly since when I was at school back in the day. <laughs> yes, I, I would absolutely agree. I think that, you know, I'm new to Dorset and the, the local secondary school has done a huge amount um, in, in, in quite trying times to, to try and engage the children and to try and consider um, that, that move into, into secondary school. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, they, they definitely are recognising some of the differences between primary education and secondary education and doing their best to, to support children as they move between those different systems. You know, just one example is in a primary school, children would have um, the same person all day long. We supervise children quite tightly in primary schools. You know, there's, there's very little unstructured times, play times, there's adults around, transitions, there's adults around. And that doesn't happen at secondary school. So the local secondary school has done a lot to support the children coming across and, and recognising the differences in that transition. So, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think that they, they are doing a lot more. And I guess some of the some of the opportunities that maybe um, year six might have had to kind of build build confidence or leadership or, or you know, residentials or, or, or some of those things that maybe haven't happened quite in the way that they would have done um, may also um, be sort of an, an issue kind of playing on some people's minds as, as, as well, that they haven't had those um those ex- confidence building experiences it always strikes me whenever I'm in a primary school you know the the year six are always are always so confident and you know real kings of the school and then um that that transition can really really knock the stuffing out of them sometimes absolutely they, they suddenly become the little people don't they um rather than being the the, the, the sort of eldest children that everyone looks up to they, they go in and they're they're the ones that are learning from everybody else once again it's a great lesson though it's a, great, it's a great life lesson for, for all of them. And the, what I love about working at the at Bobby Academy is that, that, you know, there's no shying away from this. Um, you know, this is, this is preparation, but in a positive preparation. We, we can look across large events in people's lives and we can say that, um, you know, talk about stressful events and we can talk about various other things, you know, and, and put an almost a negative spin on it if we're not careful. And then it makes it more challenging. But that's not what's happening here. Um, this is this is preparation for for next steps done in a really positive light, um, done in a way that people are that we're preparing for the next step is an inevitable step, uh, and the way you face it is down to you as an individual. Uh, so giving them the ownership, but arming them with the skills and the knowledge, and, and then to be able to take those steps almost seamlessly. And and yeah, there will be unrest when you get there, and yes, there will be a bit of this, you know, getting used to it, and and you know, but but arming them so that they can they can deal with it when they get there. I think that's the key to all of this. Absolutely yeah. agree. Definitely. Yeah. And do you have plans to kind of um, t- to keep doing this or um, evolve what you're doing or work with with more pupils? Well, that just depends on on Pat's time. You know, Pat, I, I would I'd like to have Pat here full time if um <laughs> if, he, if he had the availability. <laughs> well, yeah. stay on a podcast and it can happen. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this, is, this is the you know this isn't my day job. So, so I don't teach mindfulness in the military as a job. I mean, my job is um, I'm in charge of the combat CIS school down here at, at Bovington. That's my day job, and so I do mindfulness for defence um, as a self-imposed task um, on around the outside, working with the defence mindfulness steering group, um, and so and and doing talks all around defence to explain mindfulness and to. Uh, 
create courses and deliver training wherever I possibly can in an amongst, I mean, I've got really understanding group of um, people here, like supporting me in this, in this center and the armor center, allowing me to do so, but also then being able to cross, you know, cross, cross the road and go into the school and to be able to deliver there and to deliver an impact there. I mean, to me, that's, to, that's really important. And it's as and when needed, really, I will always create the time where I can. Uh, to come over and support but and I think it's probably at crucial times you know it's like this right now we've got a six weeks lead up this is transition time really big for the school okay I can create some space for that and enable myself to come over and do do some work there maybe it's on arrivals you know some people arrive in and we just work through and, and see when best we can do it's certainly you know I wouldn't say it's it's certainly not an enduring every week thing throughout but it's it's key points um, I'm a resource that they can call on if they wish uh, and provided I've got the time then yeah definitely support it yeah and i'm and i'm interested because obviously um you know there there have been some some more well documented um uh collaboration opportunities like kind of troops for teachers programs that um you know people have been a bit more more skeptical about but you guys have seemed to have a really um strong strong relationship here and 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 as you say you'll see you're seeing something that that can that can read across in a very uh meaningful way uh what would you what would you say to um to schools in general about about thinking about the different ways in which they could they could work with the the armed forces i mean obviously people are kind of familiar with kind of cadets and 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 things like that but are there are there other opportunities do you think i mean from my perspective if you've got an army camp on your doorstep um just engage normally most if there's an army camp on the doorstep of the school normally in amongst the governorship somewhere of the school or or somewhere in and around there will be um, a military present or a military member whose sort of task it is to liaise with the local school to make sure that both sides understand each other so that's normally happening anyway but there's such great things you can do you know we we go down at christmas uh, the armor center takes some armored vehicles down and fa- father christmas goes down on an armored vehicle and uh, and 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 that, you know that kind of stuff that sort of level of engagement and if there's sports days and events like that that we can support we'll often send some of our physical training instructors or people down just to just to help um and and so those links are great because um you know this is a very positive role model than the military um you know it's a very organized structure uh, it's very visible in terms of um and, and the career opportunities that come within this defense organization um, you know, it's like a, a small version of the rest of society. You know, you can get it all within that one, you know, organization. Um, and so I think it's really powerful that you can you can see that sort of, um, that becomes visible to people. Whereas a lot of people will never have interacted with the military. They'll have just seen films and have a completely different opinion of what the military is. We're husbands, fathers, mothers, um, you know, sons, daughters. We're all those things. Um, we just wear a different colored pajamas than everybody else. That's all. <laughs> I would say since I've been here in September as well, um, we, we've had a huge amount of help from the um, from, from the army. Uh, they're even we, we're we've um, um, we're having a fence, but we're having some work done in our early years area. And our our caretaker, bless him, he was going to um, build build a build the fence there, but he's he, he's unable to do that for whatever reason. So the army is sending along some men to come in along, some soldiers to come along and build the fence for us. And you know things like that is I think that they are the army are very. Um, you know they're very concerned about their community, and we, we quite often will just ring up and say we need a marquee. That you know it's really hot, um, and the army will come along and they'll put up an a marquee for us that so we can use it to shield, shade the children across the the summer months. So you know we we just ask really, and where they can help, they they really will do. 
So it's been it's been it's been a great experience for me um, to to see that uh, that that joined up working. Really good. Yeah, and as you were saying, Pat, it's about people having a broader understanding of exactly the the variety of things that are that are going on there in terms of careers and operations and activities and as you say education and training um and all of those things and and people not being so so blinkered about what their perception of, of what the army is and and what the army does because as i say this um, partnership and collaboration really seems to be to be working very well very well for for you guys um and lots of positives to be shared and you know at at first glance people may be listening to this podcast thinking you know soldiers talking about transition for primary what is this about um you know we'll have seen um exactly exactly what um the benefits of 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 sharing this this expertise and learning can can be um so was there anything else that either of you wanted to to share with our listeners in, in in closing or any other thoughts I just, just one for me. I mean, there is other, you know, I mean, it would be remiss of me not to mention the Mindfulness in Schools project, which is a phenomenal um, organization, which has got teacher training programs that you can send, you know, send the teachers away to, to go and learn how to bring mindfulness into the curriculum. Um, it, it's it's phenomenal. Um, and, and I think it's a really good asset. And if, if this, as this is an educational um, podcast, if people aren't aware of it, I think it's something to be tapped onto. I mean, Sarah's um, fortunate that I'm sat on the doorstep. So, um, you know, I, I can come in and do this. Um, but but there are other schools that won't be in that situation where they've got someone nearby. They can go, go and look into the um, Mindfulness in Schools project. And there's some really, really good education there, really good teacher training programs. Um, that can help it you know Dalai Lama famous words you teach all the children of the world mindfulness there will be no more conflicts Uh, that's coming from a bloke in uniform so (laughs) (laughs) well we'll definitely put a a link to that and and Sarah anything from you not really only that I I would um you know I, I just think we've seen the benefits of the mindfulness with our children in the transition and if there are schools out there um that haven't tried it then there are many links on the website um, out there that I think just just give it a go, give it a go because I think you'd be surprised um, at the at the benefits of having that time to, to deliver mindfulness in your classes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, yeah, it definitely it makes it makes me wonder what I can learn uh, to help me help me cope in my life from talking to both of you. Thank you very much. Incredibly grateful to you for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.